Ah, I love that song talking about holy is the Lord, how awesome our God is and just wanting to praise him. And last week we started a series called Between Two Worlds. And it's really about, if you will, as I was listening to that song, a holy God and a holy God saying, be holy as I am holy, calling us out, challenging us, all of us who say we are followers of Jesus Christ to be holy as he is holy. He says, I adopted you into my family. I have set you apart. I have separated you out. You have responded to my call. And so you are sanctified, which means set apart for God's use. You are set apart for God's use. And that's what we were talking about last week. We are citizens, the Bible says, of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens of this world. We love our country. We love the world in which we live. It's, you know, no one's like having a bad attitude about it. But the reality is we are not citizens, first and foremost, of the United States of America. We are citizens of heaven. And whether you are born in the United States or born in some other country this morning and you're a citizen of that country, you're first and foremost a citizen of heaven, which binds us all together as followers of Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ, regardless of where you come from. Spent some time in Mexico this past week and interacted with a lot of Mexicans who are who are citizens. They have their citizenship in another country, if you will. But first and foremost, All of our citizenship is in heaven, so it binds us together. There's a camaraderie. There is a oneness in Jesus Christ. So God says, I have separated you out. And that's what Peter was talking about. He says that we are strangers and aliens in this world. You're a stranger. You're an alien. It's different. I was trying at different points this week to have conversations with people, maybe in a restaurant or or in, in the airport or whatever, and couldn't get my point across. Because I, in a sense, was a stranger, an alien in that country. So it was hard to understand what I was trying to say. And Peter is saying, you are a stranger. You are an alien in this world. You're just passing through. And the Bible says that God doesn't want us to be conformed, doesn't want us to be just like everyone else. And not talking about being better than everyone else, holier than thou. Don't get that idea in your head. What God is saying, I want you to be separate. I want you to be more like Jesus Christ, my son. When the the goal for most people is whoever has the most stuff when they die wins. Well, for a Christian, it's kind of a race to see who could be more like Jesus before we die. Whoever's the most like Jesus before we die wins. That's the goal to be like him. God says, I don't want you to be conformed to this world. I don't want you to live like the world. I need you're going to be you have to be in the world. You want to interact with other people. You don't want to cut people off or who say they don't believe in God or whatever. That wouldn't be a smart thing to do because you want to. Be, that's what God is saying. Set yourself apart. Be different. So people look at you and they say, wow, there's something different about how you live your life. You don't act like everyone else. But you don't you don't throw it on people's faces and make them feel guilty about how they're how they're living. You just live the life that God has called you to live according to the word of God. And people say as they go through their lives, they say, you know what? There's something different about him. There's something different about her. I would like to get to know them better and understand why they act the way they act. But if you if you act like everyone else, then there's going to be no difference 
between us. So in first Peter chapter one, verse three, we looked at one and two last week in verse three, it says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jen was talking about that while she was up here. I mean, the excitement, enthusiasm of of worshiping God, coming up with a reason to, you know, just coming up with reasons to praise God, to sing about God. You don't have to wait till you come to church. You know, I was driving here this morning. I put on, you know, one of the stations with a Christian station. There was some music on and I listened to Ravi Zacharias for I, I'll listen to Ravi Zacharias for as long as I can, even if it's like three minutes. I love him. Um, so I was just listening to those things and, you know, looking for an opportunity to sing and praise God. So it says, praise be Peter's fired up here. Don't get it. It's like, I don't see how people make the Bible boring, but they do. Okay. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, look at there. I mean, the way it's written, it's like, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is good stuff. Something's exciting. Something's happening here. You got to get into it. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are so many exciting things in there right now that I can hardly see straight. I mean, think about it. And Peter, Peter will get into his life here and some of the things that he was involved in and how he changed. But that's why he wrote that. He was like, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy. He's talking about himself. He's talking about all of us, but he's talking about himself as well. He's telling, in a sense, his story. You say, well, Peter, why are you so excited? Let me tell you why I'm so excited. He's going to tell you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here in in verse 3, Peter talks about something very, very powerful. He talks about living hope. Living hope. Hope. Oh, my goodness. Hope is so important in this world. And I read the story. I want to share it with you. On December 17th, 1927, a U.S. submarine was on patrol off the Atlantic coast when it accidentally collided with a Coast Guard cutter. The submarine was so severely damaged that it sank and came to rest on the floor of the Atlantic about 100 feet down. A rescue ship was dispatched to the scene to uh, to the collision and immediately the divers were sent to investigate. The first diver to go down was Commander Ellsberg, who came up reporting the submarine was on her keel with a large hole in her side and no signs of life. The next morning, however, two more divers were sent down again to survey the situation. And as they did, they heard tapping coming from inside the damaged vessel. The tapping turned out to be in Morse code from the from the signals of the divers that they learned. There were six men who were survivors of the crash. The last message they tapped out in Morse code was, was is there hope? Is there hope? Please hurry, please. Is there hope? Is there hope? I mean, you think all the things should be tapping out and the last thing, is there hope? Is there hope? Are we going to survive this? Is someone going to rescue us? Is there someone who's going to rescue us from the situation we find ourselves in? How many times do we say that in our own lives? Is someone going to rescue me from the situation I find myself in? I'm going through such turmoil. I'm really struggling in my life. I don't know what to do. Is there someone who is going to rescue me? That question is asked so often in our culture. Is there hope? Our world is desperate for hope. And hope, my friends, if you think about it, is in very short supply. 
I don't know. I, I was just thinking about on the way home on the plane. I was thinking about I'm only 52 years old, but I was thinking about, you know, how everybody's. Oh, man, this now nowadays things are so much better. We have this and we have that. And we have the other thing. And I don't, I'm not sure. And, I'm, and some of you will understand what I'm saying here. But I wish we could go back to the Cold War days. Remember that? How, how much more comfortable you were in the, during the Cold War? You had one enemy to worry about? The Soviet Union. You beat him in hockey, you were fired up. You know what I mean? It was awesome, you know? It was the Soviet, the big, you know, the big bear or whatever. And everybody was kind of worried, is there ever going to be a war? Now, now you got to worry about the Russians. you got to worry about the Chinese. you got to worry about these people. you got to worry about terrorists. We're all like all stressed out of who's going to be our enemy when. Why can't we all just be friends? You know what I mean? Let's just, uh, you know, all sing together. All we're saying, get a piece of chance. But that's not how the world is. So you end up feeling, people feel hopeless. They're frustrated. You hear about planes being shot down and, you know, people invading other people and people lobbing bombs on people's country. It's, it's this constant thing. And I think, I thought to myself, it was a lot simpler. And I'm not thinking, well, you know, back in the good old days, I'm not saying there were any good old days. I'm saying, honestly, it was a lot simpler 25 or 30 years ago. And I think people are feeling a bit hopeless. I think the world seems to be running low on the supply of hope. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, I love this verse. Listen to what it says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Many of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about when I say hope deferred, you know, hope deferred. And I looked up a biblical definition. Let me read you the definition of hope deferred. The the delay of that which a man eagerly desires and expects. So you're eagerly desiring and expecting something, you know, you're hoping and, and then all of a sudden it doesn't it doesn't come. You're hoping, you, you, you're, you're waiting for that, you're just waiting for that, and it doesn't happen. Hope deferred. And then I, I, at the ending of this, I, I read a little further, and it says, an affliction that differs little from a lingering disease. That's hope deferred. An affliction, it's called, that differs litter, litter, little from a lingering disease. So you have this disease in your life, you have some kind of ailment that has been going on for years and years and years. And some of you, again, know exactly what that's like. Something in your knee, something inside, maybe your heart is an issue or something in your body is lingering disease, is lingering physical ailment. That's, that's what the Bible describes, the same as hope deferred. When, when you have hope, imagine the guys in the submarine wondering, is, there, is anyone going to get to us before we run out of air. Is there hope? That's the question of the world. That's honestly the question that everyone asks. And some people have very difficult lives and they come to the conclusion there is no hope. I just give up. I'm frustrated. I was talking to um, a, with a young man. This is about a year ago who was involved all his life in uh, the foster care system. And he sat down in my office and said, you know, you're talking about getting involved with orphans and, and widows. You're talking about getting involved with foster care kids. Let me explain to you. Let me explain to you the life of someone in foster care. And he was like 19 years old. He said, 
You go here, your parents, something happens with your parents. They're going through a struggle of some kind, maybe some kind of abuse or whatever, like a drug abuse or something, or they're just, there's some kind of struggle going on in their lives. And so someone takes you by the hand and leads you off and, and, and hands you to a family. And they basically tell you, listen, your mom and dad are getting their, their act together. So you're going to be with these people for a little while, but they're getting their act together. So, uh, you know, hang in there. Keep the hope. You know what I mean? And so you're hoping that your parents are going to get their act together. And so because you're hoping that you don't attach to these people here because you're not going to be with them for very long because you're, you know, that's the way it's going to be. All of a sudden, your parents don't get their act together and they hand you to someone else. They walk over and you're a little taller now. And they say, you know, well, your parents are getting your act together. And this is what I was. This is this is his words. Your parents are just getting their act together. And, you know, soon, hopefully we'll have you reunited and everything. So as you grow, you keep hearing that over and over. Your parents are getting their act together. And so you don't attach to this family or this family or this family because you're obviously your parents are getting their act together. And it's hope deferred over and over and over and over again. And you can talk about a lingering, a lingering disease, something physical. But there's also lingering emotional things that happen to you when your hope is deferred over and over and over again. Hope deferred. Oh, they're just it's just oh, it's just right around the the frustration builds. It mounts. It's overwhelming. Before I move on there, if there uh, there is an opportunity even here in the church, uh, there are people there's there's uh, people that are involved in the foster care system. And uh, there's an opportunity even for even today of someone in our church who's in foster care who is looking for a family. And if you're interested in uh, in being a foster parent to maybe a student who's a little bit older, um, you know, preteen, teen kind of years, uh, I'd love to talk to you after the service, okay? Because we we are in a situation where someone uh, is in need in that area. All right. So hope deferred. You, that I think that brings it to life when it's like you just you just you're almost there. For you, maybe maybe it was hope that your life would turn out better than than it has. Maybe it was hope that you'd be married by now. Maybe it was a, with a hope that, that, that this, this ailment, this, this, your health would improve or that you would find that job. I don't know how many people in this church I've talked to who lost their jobs, especially in 90, I mean, sorry, in 2007 and 8 and 9, and then the thought they would be going from one job to the next, and it just, that hope deferred over beyond and beyond and beyond, and you're just like, you're right about there, and then you don't get the job, and it's frustrating Things didn't turn out the way you planned. That's what it means to have your hope deferred. When things don't turn out, when you're when you're hoping something's going to turn out and it doesn't. But then in Proverbs 13, 12, it also says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Listen to me. It is a powerful, powerful thing when hope and vision come together. It is. I mean, It is so powerful. I'm going to describe it as we go on here, but it is very powerful when hope and and vision come together. If we go back to verse three, notice what Peter says, why, why he's so excited. He's overjoyed with praise to God. And as we read further, we see that we see why Peter is so um, overwhelmed, if you will. He's overwhelmed with praise to God. I love to see people come up when they they hear a song and they feel like, you know what? I feel led of the Lord just to come and kneel down and raise my hands and worship God. If you feel like kneeling in your seat, do it. Who cares about the people around you, what they think or don't think? 
You feel like you feel this praise to God. I want to praise God. I've heard so many times people say, I really want to just stand up and say, amen, you know, under my breath, you know, but they feel uncomfortable. But Peter's saying, oh, I'm just I, I, I'm overwhelmed with praise. I want to praise God. I just have to praise him. It continues. Verse three, he says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This verse tells us where this living hope comes from and how we can get it. So where it comes from, where does this living hope? Because, again, the world is looking for hope. Hope deferred, not a good thing. But hope, when it is given, is like the spring of life. It's like a tree planted by a, a river where the roots can get in. You know, they get down in there. And I heard that I heard that weeping willow trees planted next to a stream or a river can suck up 400 gallons of water per day. 400 gallons. That's what I'm talking about. That's talking about just the spring when hope is given. It's like, the, you know, just pulling it in, sucking it in. It's like 400 gallons per day. So it tells us where the, this living hope comes from and how we can get it. So first, it says it begins with the mercy of God, with God's mercy. Hope starts with God, not with us. Hope, if you're looking for hope, my friends, it starts with God. It doesn't start with us. We need to understand because of sin, we are hope. Our, our situation is hopeless. We are in a hopeless situation and separated from God. We are not in control of our future. We are not in control of our, our, our future, our eternal future. We are separated from God and therefore not in control. If you, if you take God out of the equation, your present life, whether you're going to feel happy some days or whatever, whatever, is a coin cost. He's, throw the coin up heads you know heads your days a good one tails your days a bad one if you take god out of the equation remember we talked about it in the last series regardless of what situation you're in you can have contentment in your life because i can do all things through christ who gives me strength so with christ there is no situation heads or tails that you can't find peace joy and contentment in your life but without god in your life your life is a toss it's a coin toss Today, I wake up, maybe I'm in a good mood, or maybe things go well for me, or maybe whatever, or my boss says something nice, or he doesn't come in and just beat on me in the office. You know, it's like a coin toss, how you're going to react and how you're going to feel if you don't have God in your life. You don't see every situation as an opportunity to become more like Jesus Christ. You see every situation as like, oh, that stunk, and it's meaningless, and life was just, today was just a bummer. So basically... It's a coin toss, if you will, for how your life is going to turn out. And and not only that, but your future fate is also sealed and not for the better. If you take God out of the equation of your life, your future, your eternal future is already sealed. Okay, if you choose to do that and not for the better. See, a lot of people believe that God looks at this. I mean, I think this is the way a lot of people think they look they, they think that God looks at the mess that they've made of their lives, right, because of all the things that happen. And they think, you know, God is thinking to himself, well, you made the mess of your life. You made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. I told you, I gave you the Bible, you know, you heard this kind of thing from pastors. And, and so since you made these choices, you made your bed, you lie in it. That's the end of that. But that's not what the Bible says God's response to us is. It says that God feels mercy for us. God is a merciful God. He wants us. I don't care what you've done in your life. God in his mercy 
wants to draw you to himself, wants to offer mercy. He loves you so much. His compassion is overwhelming and he wants to change the direction of your life. and, And he does. He does something about it. We were separated from God because of sin. God doesn't sit around and say, well, you made your bed lie in it. No, he comes up. He has a plan to draw us back to himself, to draw us back into a relationship with himself. And that plan is Jesus Christ. He does something about it. So the second thing comes out is because of God's great mercy, he gives us what the Bible calls new birth. He gives us his new birth. I love words like new birth and born again. I love it. It says in verse three again, it says in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. Love that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, new birth or born again. When you hear that, say you come for the first time, you're popping into church, but you've heard about those born again Christians and you know, born again, whatever. But the born again is just the way the Bible describes. It's, 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 the, it's the way the New Testament talks about our experience of salvation. I was separated from God. God started speaking to me. I don't care. I don't even care if you, this is the first time you've ever been in church. You know that God, God draws you in different ways. And sometimes you, you, know, you think it's you talking to yourself or whatever else. But you know that God is drawing you, talking to you. And, and that's the way that God draws you from separation. Start to think about God. You start to understand who Jesus Christ is. You have that relationship with Christ, and then you're born again. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you offer your life and say, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life, you are then born again. It is your whole life is a do-over. You start again. It's like someone takes a big eraser and erases everything you've ever done, and you're born all over again. You get to start over. It's hitting the ball in the tree and someone yelling, do-over, right? Your life is a do-over. I don't know about you, but I like that. Not only is your life a do-over and you're born again when you ask Christ to come into your life, but every single time you go before Jesus Christ and say, God, I really messed up here. I really messed up. I ask you forgive me. You start over again. Your life begins over in a sense again. He forgives you for those things. I love that. I don't think most Christians understand the power of grace. Or we wouldn't walk around with some of the guilt we walk around with and some of the ways we, we feel overwhelmed and stressed out about what we've done. And you ask God to forgive you and God says, no, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a new birth. I'm gonna, you're going to be born again. I'm going to give you a fresh start. See, before connecting with God, we're, the Bible says we're spiritually dead. So remember I said that, that hope starts with God, not with us. The reason it starts with God and not with us is because Before we have a relationship and we're connected with God, we are spiritually dead people. That's what the Bible says. We're spiritually dead and we need to be brought back to life to be born again. So we're spiritually dead. We give our lives to Christ. We reconnect with God. And the Bible says that you're born again. You start all over again. This is something we don't do on our own because dead people. Well, if 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 you're if there was a dead person here. You all could yell all you want for, for that person to do something. Get up and say, just do anything. Goodness me, raise your finger. You know what I'm saying? One word would be fine. You lazy bum, whatever they call it. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Dead, dead people aren't going to respond. You can't respond. 
So it's God. It's God who does the drawing. It's God who begins to regenerate. It's God who begins to draw us closer to him. And we give our lives to him. We are born again. We are alive. We come alive. And some of you know this experience in such intimate ways. Your life was completely different. And then God grabbed you in your life spiritually. And then when when you gave your life to Christ, you came alive. You were alive for the very first time in your life, maybe. See, I can't control or fix my eternal condition. I'm not in control of my internal, my eternal condition. I can't fix it. I can control it. That's why God in his great mercy has given us new birth and new life. A new start. He's given, he, he, he's allowed us to start over a totally new beginning. Third, this new birth is made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Love the resurrection. If you don't believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, um, I would love to sit down with you for a few hours and go through all the evidence that basically gets you to the point where you can take a step of faith to believe that. I wasn't there. You weren't there. So basically everything. I wasn't there when the universe began either, but I'm standing here talking to you, okay? So there are things that we have to take by faith. Um, Everything before we were there, we take by faith. And someone written down or someone said something or history... I can I can sit down with you a few hours and lay out the resurrection of Jesus Christ. okay? and you will take a step of faith, believing that Jesus did raise from the dead. And that's the foundation of our faith, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this new birth is made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was alive, think about this. When Jesus was alive, he was like healing the sick and raising people from the dead. And he was doing all kinds of things. The disciples were, I mean, they were fired up. They were excited. They get to follow Jesus. Every time he turned around, he's, he's spitting on some mud and putting in someone's eye. And they're like, hey, I can see. And they're like, yes, this is our guy. We're fired up. This is great. Jesus Christ is the man. And we're like the people around him. The rest of you people, you can follow him. But we're, man, this is great. They were filled with what? They were filled with hope. They were filled with hope. This was the guy. But after watching him die on the cross, all of a sudden, something happened. They walked away feeling defeated and empty. They went from, yeah, to, what, what, wait, 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 what just happened? He's dead. He's dead. The hopes of Jesus' disciples were dead. But then everything changed again when they realized that Jesus Christ was alive. And see, here's the thing. Just like then as in now, because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, okay, put an end to any question of who he was. When he died and he came back to life, when he was raised from the dead, that eliminated all question. Just one quick thing for you here. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, why would people who saw him raise from the dead, why would a bunch of guys, okay, die for something they absolutely, men and women, why would they absolutely, why would they die for something they knew was untrue? I would die for Jesus Christ right now. Put a gun to my head and say, either renounce your faith or I shoot you. Shoot me. I'm not renouncing my faith. I have faith in everything I'm talking about here. There was a difference then. They would have known that Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead. They were there, okay? So when people came to them, in a sense, put a gun to their head, like crucifying them upside down, sawing them in half, and all those kinds of things, I would say, whoa, 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 time out. Let me rethink this here, because I really didn't see him raise from the dead, and I kind of made this whole thing up. They all died for their faith. 
They died for their faith. Why would people die for something? They I'm not talking about people blow themselves up for, you know, for some cause. I'm talking about, you know, for a fact what you're saying is a lie. You'd have to be insane. Maybe one person insane. Hundreds, thousands. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. There's so much evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when they when he was dead, they were defeated and empty. When he came, when he resurrected, it was like because Jesus is alive. Hope is alive. In Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five, Paul ties it all together. And he says this, but because of his great love for us, God, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now, because this is a gift, you have to receive it. So God does all this stuff. He's rich in mercy. He sees us separated. He, he comes up with, he's got a plan. He, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Because God is rich in mercy, he does that for us. We need to receive that. He's offer, if I walk up to any one of you and I have a gift, and I'm offering you that gift, you have, you have a choice to receive or reject that gift. Here's this amazing gift. Do you want to receive it or do you want to reject it? You have to receive it. You have to choose to receive that gift. It's not automatic. Just because you go to church all your life does not make you part of the Jesus club. Religion and relationship are two different things. They're two different things. Let me just stop for a second. Because I know some people even come to Grace Chapel for years and years and years and maybe don't get this point. Coming to church is a great thing, and you should come because you're growing in your relationship with Christ, you're learning. But there is a gigantic chasm between coming to Grace Chapel because you feel like it's the church, your religion that you're a part of, and having a a personal, deep, affectionate relationship with a living God. We we meet here because of the thing I just described, the deep and personal relationship with the living God. And that deep personal relationship with God, that God who is holy is saying to you, I have set you apart wherever you are. Think about this. Don't wake up if you've fallen asleep. Okay, this is important stuff. All right. He's saying to you individually, I have a personal relationship with you and I want you to be. I'm your father. Okay, I want you to be like me. I want you to be like me. I want you to be like my son, Jesus Christ. Everyone here. It's not a religion. It is a relationship that we have with a living God that's saying, I have separated you out. I have things for you to do, children, individually. I have things for you to do. I want you to become more like me and then to fulfill the purpose that I have for your life. That is what the Bible talks about. That's what we're talking about here. So, so you, you, you read this. It's not an automatic thing. You have to have, you have, to have faith. You have to believe. Okay, you have to have that belief and you have to receive that gift that God is giving you in order to become a child of God. Everyone was created by God. We are all created by God. Not everyone is a child of God that is being adopted into his family. You receive that gift. You say, yes, thank you so much. You received you're adopted into his family. You become a child of God. Remember, Peter's speaking from experience here, okay? Peter's speaking from experience. Something extraordinary happened in his life. Something truly extraordinary happened because he was, you know, he was, you know, Peter was very, you know, he's a different kind of guy, you know, very emotional, charged and everything. But he had an experience. Something, something happened in his life. Something extraordinary happened in Peter's life. He experienced the power of the resurrection. That's what changed him. 
That's what truly, you know, him running around, you know, with Jesus and doing different things, even before the resurrection, he had faith, everything. But what really, really impacted Peter's life was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he was a miserable failure before that. Right. Right before Jesus death. I mean, Peter is not like the guy who's, you know, he 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 denies Christ within hours before of Jesus death hours. So he, he he's a failure when it comes from that standpoint after the resurrection after the resurrection, so Peter basically, and many others, are complete failures when it comes to what we're talking about here. But after the resurrection, Peter is a fearless, I mean, completely focused, fearless follower of Jesus Christ. How's that? A focused, fearless follower of Jesus Christ. Peter had experienced the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his own life, and he was transformed. He was changed, okay? It was all over to the point of death. This guy, this guy was totally and utterly and fearlessly committed to Jesus Christ after the resurrection because his hope was nailed down. Okay, there was nothing that could change. Why? Because he saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead and his hope was just it was just like all over. I mean, you couldn't there's nothing that could stop him. He was a wild man, if you will, for Jesus Christ. He was a fanatic. Some people say, some of you guys are fanatics. You're darn right I'm a fanatic. I am. I'm going to raise my hand. I am a complete and utter fanatic for Jesus Christ. Okay, I am. I love him with all of my heart. He is my life. Remember that last week we talked about it? Jesus Christ, who is your life. He is my life. Who am, who am I going to be a fanatic for if it's not for Jesus Christ? I love other people, sport, athletes, things like that. They're wonderful. I'm not a fanatic. I like them. Cheer for them. But I, he, he, Peter was a fearless follower of Jesus Christ. He had experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his life, and it changed him. He went from despair. Oh, my gosh, what just happened? This cool guy that was you know, spitting on things and healing people all the time is dead. Despair. And then he went to, from despair to hope. I've seen that happen so many times in so many people's lives in this church and all around the world. Where they go from total despair, they are struggling with something, they can't overcome it, they, they, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and there's an extraordinary change that comes over them. I watched some students from Mexico this week, some little kids I've known since they were little kids, they were standing up there, lined up, they go to the Hope, the Hope Program. It's a perfect name for, the, for, for what we do there. We take children out of the orphanages, we put them in the Hope Program, they go there from like 11th and 12th grade on to their bachelor's degree. If they want to get their master's, they can get their master's, it's all paid for. And those kids, okay, education is not the only thing that changes your life. We're investing in them emotionally and all the things they've gone through in their lives. But here are these hope kids who said, you know, when I gave my life to Christ, they were in, they were in, most of them were in Christian orphanages, but there was a point in their lives where it went from an experiential kind of story-ish kind of thing to a real dynamic truth in their lives. They say, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, everything changed. My life changed. I was able to forgive my mom or my dad. They went through these experiences. It was incredible. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that amazed me. There was about 10 or 12 of them standing up there. They had just gotten back. Hear me out here. These are the kids that we have invested in all these years. They had just gotten back from a mission trip to Haiti. Where they invested in the lives of orphans in, the, in Haiti. And they were telling about their experiences. I was getting goose. I couldn't believe it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, who better to minister 
to the life of a child in Haiti, right? An orphan in Haiti than an orphan coming from Mexico on a mission trip who, who can say to you, I understand. Let me share with you what Jesus Christ has done in my life. It was absolutely the most powerful, powerful thing for me to watch. See, the hope that Peter talks about is also a guaranteed, listen to this, a guaranteed inheritance. Right? Once you get it, guaranteed, done deal. Once you're adopted into God's family, once you're adopted from a biblical perspective, once you're adopted, you can't be unadopted. So you're in. And once you get that inheritance, the inheritance, the inheritance cannot be taken away from you. So once you're adopted into God's family, you're sealed. Okay, once you get this inheritance, the inheritance can't be taken away from you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4 says, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept for you in heaven. It, it, it's, it's something we possess. It, it, we have a new life now. But, but not all of it happens in this life. Well, the cool thing is, the, the real, the, the real, the, the total, the best part of it is still to come. Look at, look at what verse 4 says about our inheritance. It will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. Nothing on this earth, there is nothing in time or eternity that can touch it or destroy it. Nothing can take it away from you. This living hope gives us the power to live courageously, to live with passion, to live it out completely because we have it. We know we have this hope. And if I have something I know you can't take from me, I don't fear you. There's nothing you can do to me. I can live courageously. What are you going to do? Take my life? Go right ahead. I know I am sealed in God. When you take my life, I just go on living in eternity. It doesn't matter one or the other. I am not going. I am not dying. It's all over because Jesus was raised from the dead. So will I be. I will spend eternity with him. I am sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. You can't do anything to me. That's why Peter. That's why. That's why Paul. That's why all these other all the other disciples. They all have the same attitude. What on earth can you do to them? They were passionately on fire for Jesus Christ. Cut them in half. Saw them, you know, uh, you know, crucify them upside down, stone them to death. It was like that, you know, boom, I, I know where I'm going. What can can man do to me? See, I don't have to worry about my future because it's secure. No one can take my salvation from me. Listen to what Romans says. I love this. In Romans chapter 8, 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to this. Shall trouble? Nope. Or hardship? Nope. Or persecution? Nope. Famine? Nope. Nakedness? Nope. Danger? Sword? Anything? Threats? No. Nothing can separate us. In verse 37, it continues, No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors. I win. See, the game's over. It's over. I win. Now I'm just living. I'm living it out. I gotta start. I'm just going wild. I'm going to have the time of my life. I have hope in Jesus Christ because Jesus is raised from the dead and he's called me to do something. I'm going to find out my purpose in life. I'm going to live it to the fullest because there's not a darn thing anyone else in this universe can do about it. Except kill me to try to stop me. Go right ahead. As a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no fear there. I'm sealed. It's secure. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. I know. Here's the thing. Think about this. I know the end of my story. You get it? If you know the end of your story, go for it, man. Most people are like, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. What happens if? Oh, my goodness. The worry. What about tomorrow? What about? I know the end of my story. The end of my story is really good. It's a really good ending. 
Okay, I stand before Jesus. He's like, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, when I was, when I was sick and in prison, you came to visit me. He's going to say all kinds of cool things. The end of my story is really, really cool. I stand before this guy. He's like, oh my goodness, I fall on my knees. All kinds of good things happen. I know the end of the story. If you know the end of the story, you become a very, very, very dangerous person. I become, my life can be lived with relentless passion because I know the end of the story. The world, my friends, needs hope. Just like those guys banging from the inside of, of that submarine saying, is anyone coming to rescue us? This world is asking you the same question. They may say it with a different attitude, but you know what? They're, they feel hopeless. They're frightened. They're worried about the future. They, they're, they're running after fame and fortune and money, all this kind of what about you? They're, and they're saying, is there any hope? Is there anyone going to... Someone tell me the truth in all of this world of craziness and lies. They're asking, is there hope? The answer is yes. And it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter went from denying Christ three times to dying for Jesus Christ while preaching the gospel. How does that happen? How does Paul go from crucifying, I mean, uh, you know, like just going after Christians, persecuting Christians to the point of death? He killed Christians for a living. How does he go from that to Paul, who's written so much of the New Testament, right, inspired by God, who's given his life for Jesus Christ? How does that happen? Because they saw something. They experienced something. They believed something to be true. They, Peter went from denying Jesus Christ three times to dying for him while preaching the gospel. We need to live with that kind of boldness. We need to live with that kind of faith. We need to live with that kind of attitude. We need to live with that kind of relentless passion in our lives as we reach out to the people around us. You have been given a gift. You've been given a gift, the hope of new life. But now, my friends, we need to, we need to spread that amongst the people around us. God is called calling us to share that hope. And one of the best places to start is to invite someone to church. Have the courage and the boldness to say, hey, why don't you just come along? People are looking for truth. They're looking for truth. No one cares about being invited to church. No one's like offended if you invite them to church. They're offended if you shove down something down their throat, if you start manipulating them. But no one's, no one's afraid of the walls of the church. No one's afraid of hearing the truth. Okay? No one's afraid of, of, of open debate and discussion. They're all open to that. We need to have the courage to, in, to, encourage, to invite people to come and to hear what God is saying to them. They deserve to hear. My friend Patty invited me to church. She knew very little about the Bible when she invited me to church. She didn't have all the answers. But you know what? She loved me enough to give me a chance at a new life. She loved me enough to give me a second chance. It's time for us to do the same for someone else in our lives. It's time for us to live our lives with such relentless passion that everyone around us can say there's something different about those people. We, there's something different in their lives. See, my hope, my vision for this church is that we would be filled with people who are seeking truth, filled with people who are asking questions. Is there hope? What is my purpose? What is the, what is the meaning of life? Fill with those kind of people because the Holy Spirit will lead them closer to God the Father and their lives will be completely changed. Let me close with this verse in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. There's good news this morning. Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. This whole God thing is real. It's true. There is a God. He made you. He has a purpose for you. And he can change your life no matter what you're going through. Change your entire life. I challenge you with all of my heart to seek after him and watch what he does. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Thank you for each person here. And I pray, Lord God, that those who have come here, maybe for the first time, who don't know you, they would seek after you, Lord God. Even talk to someone after the service, a friend or me, that we could share even in greater detail who you are. And how they can have a relationship with you. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray that you would use us to reach out to this world in such desperate need of hope. And that we would give them that hope that comes from only your son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.